Well, welcome everybody to uh, episode 107 of the Metabolist 2 podcast being recorded live. Post galley. Post galley in a hotel room in the uh, Los Angeles uh, Marriott. LAX Marriott, yeah. Everyone else is downstairs in the lobby con having a great time, but we're professionals, so we're recording a <laughs> podcast instead. Lobby con is kind of dying down now. We, I saw Colin and Nicola heading towards their rooms. Separate uh, rooms. Separate rooms, separate but rooms. Uh, earlier in the evening, and yep. we just uh, had had some really nice conversations with a few people in the yeah, able lobby to shake, con. I was able to shake Steve Roberts warmly by the hand, recommend him for a knighthood and his team. <laughs> um, yeah, the whole restoration team deserve it. Some kind of honors gone. they do, but we were going to do a uh, weren't we, David? Yeah, we're just going to do a, a retrospective recap. for all our new fans that we've picked up through <laughs> uh, all our hard work during the uh, Gallifrey One convention to get people to listen to this amazing podcast. So I think just kind of a recap. I think we both came in. Well, we both did come in town on Thursday and got signed in Thursday night. Uh, not much was going on there, but I did meet a couple of the chaps from. Radio Free Scarrow, and also uh, one half of the Doctor Who, the writer's room. So that was nice. And also connected up on Friday Friday afternoon with Stephen of the New to Who podcast. New to Who. And we, uh, I think on Saturday, we recorded 10 minutes with him in the hallway conversation about Ark and Space and a little bit of the Hinchcliffe Holmes era in general. And that was nice, nice for Stephen to reach out to us and... Uh, hopefully we'll hear what became of that in the future. Yeah. Then Friday Friday morning kicked off with the Radio Free Scarrow podcast, which was uh, interesting to see a semi-pro podcast in action and how they handled anything. But the real draw for us was the members of the restoration team. I think were, we I think we were at every restoration team opportunity to meet those guys um i think it's it's really clear certainly to me that they're just complete heroes and i mean i could just listen to those people talk about restoring doctor who you know for hours on end it's just such a fascinating story so it was wonderful to see them getting the recognition that they deserve at uh, gallifrey one because um of course i think a lot of people don't realize exactly how much work has gone into being able to see this show it's Pretty incredible the amount of technology and just artistry, artistry, and love and care that goes into effectively resurrecting vintage archive television from various disparate sources, different mediums, different conditions into something that it just into almost better than day one quality that we have in many many parts on the DVDs and and now Blu-rays. Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing that we did after that, you went to the History of Highlights of DWM Comics. How was that? That was panel? good. That was, uh, that was Paul Cornell's. Uh, he's, he's a bit of a local hero, I think, at um, Gallifrey One, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, who did he have on that panel? There were some interesting people. I, you know, I've never been to one of these things before, and I'm not really a convention-going person. So, you know, the kind of grammar of this was sort of interesting to me. Oh, Charlie Kirchhoff... Lars Pearson. Lars Pearson is great. I, I had a lot, lot of fun meeting him, actually. Um, Laura Gjovag. Why do I know that name? Anyway. She's on a panel one. She, uh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Gary Askers and John Arnold were on that panel. Um, and that was fun. I mean, I, that was actually a panel that I would very much like to have been involved in, in fact. But Paul's obviously written for the comic strip over several years. Um, has written some key stories. It was mainly really to, about the, uh, the writing of the strip. Um, which is fine. Um, I'm primarily interested in the depiction of that writing, but still, it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And uh, a little bit later in the afternoon, I saw a fabulous, uh, the fabulous Katie Manning being interviewed on the big stage. She's super. And it was just a delightful, and she's just such a warm, caring, compassionate human being. And it's just beyond how much we love her for Doctor Who, just her, her just general care and compassion and her concern for the environment, concern for other people. I mean, she began saying her her panel or, or her interview saying the world needs more hugs, and it's just that's that's Katie in a nutshell. She's just really a kind, caring individual, and it just it just oozes from her. She's just such a lovely person, and it just was a treat, a pleasure to see her on stage, just in a conversation, and it just was really a nice a nice thing. And then um, I think you were. Were you at the uh, um, the Axons and Silurians panel, the the kind of Pertwee era retrospective? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I mean, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to preface one thing. Actually, something maybe more for you to say, David, is mm-hmm. that um, uh, you know, for you, you've never really seen any of these people, have you? No, I have not. I have never seen uh, well the, the Doctor Who royalty or the Doctor Who luminaries at all. I have not been to a fan convention. There is. You know, certainly um, when JNT was show running in the 1980s, he had uh, that was one of his big side side gigs that mm. he was running kind of fan con- or not fan conventions, but uh, professional BBC conventions in yeah. the in the states. And I just never never went to see him, and I just never went to Gallifrey before. And this is what 30th year of Gallifrey, so I have avoided this part of fandom. But it was very very interesting, rewarding. I wouldn't say life affirming, but with Katie Manning, it is life affirming. Yeah, she's a life affirming person. You know, um, just, just very beautiful, very charismatic person, and it's just, it's, it's nice to see that one of your childhood heroes is really such a nice person. Yeah. In, in the real world, because I mean, you know, everyone always says you never meet your heroes because they always turn out to be not very heroic. But in Corsi Katie's case, that's mm-hmm. completely uh, the opposite. I mean, for me, uh, you know, I would would go to a lot of signings in the late mid to late 90s when we lived in London at the uh, Who Shop in uh, Embarking and uh, 10th Planet also Embarking, two, like, two, two Doctor Who shops um, in, in Embarking in East London. So again, you know, meeting people like Katie and Colin and everybody else, mm-hmm. like Nicholas Courtney. Anyway, I mean, I sort of met those people in a signing context. You, you, uh, you met Liz too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, that's, it, it was it's kind of interesting. Um, it, it, it's kind of a different experience with, I mean, with so many fans here. You were telling me a story about when you had your book signed by Tom Baker. You he, I, was the, I was the only... It was in Waterstones um, in Victoria Street um, by Victoria Station, and it was when he was doing his, uh, his autobiography tour. Uh, and it's when I was working at the Arts Council, which was just around the corner from uh, that bookshop. And I went in my lunch break because I knew he was doing a signing and I was the only person there and it was him. Um, and he wanted to have a chat and I backed away slowly after a while because like, I'm done now. I've got to get back to work, yeah. Tom. See ya. Bye. Um, but it was fun. It was great. And it's, it's weird because, of course, I think Tom is now actually a lot more famous than he was in the 1990s, um, mainly because I think he's kind of maybe mellowed a little bit and uh, and is m- more happy to be famous for being Doctor Who than maybe right. he was in the past. But I think also, you know, everyone who is my age is now my age and we've reached a certain level of power within a particular <clears throat> culture so that we can demand Tom Baker be famous and lo and behold he is. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, it's just as he's grown in years, he's mellowed in... 
he no longer has anything to prove. He is retired yeah, for the most part outside of Big Finish. Five or something, yeah. And it's, you know, he doesn't have to try to, you know, hustle jobs anymore. And being yep. typecast as Doctor Who, his, no his, his most, most famous role, right, not a problem anymore. Yeah. And he can em- embrace it. Yeah. And yeah. then after that, you went to see what... Uh, uh, Lars Peterson and Lance Parkins and, yeah, so and the, the canon of Doctor Who. Yeah, so the um the the the, the remembering the Pertwee Years panel right, was, right. was was excellent. I really really enjoyed that. And was that uh, Paul Vanessa's on that? Or? Yeah, Paul Vanessa's on that. You know, and he's 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 actually a amazing another kind of amazing individual. I got a lot of time for Paul. I wish he was my friend. Uh, <laughs> um, I think he's brilliant. The funny there. thing that yeah. came out of that is. Uh, uh, Vanessa uh, at least currently thinks that the Time Monster is his favorite Pertwee story. Time Monster's favorite Pertwee story, but his favorite film, because he's an absolute gent and a star, is um, is apparently Where Eagles Dare, which makes him a man of rare wealth and taste. And to recognize that that is also a genius film. The uh, so the next the next panel I was at was uh, uh, Lars Peterson, uh, Lars Peterson, and Lance Parkin, Lance Lance, whatever he's called, Parkin. Those are also, I mean, it was great actually to meet Lars, um, even very slightly. He's a, just a real character, and I never really kind of realized what kind of a real character he is. And uh, Lance Parkin uh, is, again, a, a, a kind of certainly a literary hero of mine. I, I've, his books, uh, Doctor Who books, again in the 90s and, and further on, were absolutely kind of revelatory to me in terms of what could be done with that particular genre and medium. And being fortunate enough to be a friend of his on Facebook, his political commentary, um, both in terms of my country and also of uh, America, is spot on the nose mm-hmm. in terms of what's going on. So, yeah, it's great to meet him. I was very, very sorry I was not able, I was not uh, poised enough uh, to get them to sign stuff for me. Um, that's, a, that's a slight regret. I'd love to have got Lance Parking to sign so, one of my so books. So was there anything interesting about canon that they... No, I mean, they, they basically were saying, well, they know that Doctor Who has no canon. Right. Um, and that is the joy and beauty of the show. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't try and turn it into canon. <laughs> um, and, you know, they described it as a parlor game. And the A history... Uh, which is, you know, of course, is a pun. So it's a history of Doctor. Right. So it's just one particular history of Doctor, Who, but it's also a in terms of like a moral. Um, so it's maybe it's also a kind of an anti-history as well. Mm-hmm. Is a it's a labor of love for them. Um, they are they, you know, they're kind of in some ways fast approaching the point. It's fast approaching the point where there is no one who will be able to to be no. There was there's, It is not possible for any one person to know everything about Doctor Who. Um, mm-hmm. That there is now too, almost too much material that there's nobody who could have watched it all and listened to it all and read it all. And they are kind of aware that if they stop this process of writing a history, they may never be able to catch up. Um, they're, they're on three volumes now, They're right? three volumes. Um, yeah, it's from... almost almost a million words. If you're listening to this podcast, everyone, go out and buy A History Volumes 1, 2, and 3. Lars was very clear that it's, you know, it's a barely even a money-making project right now. <laughs> um, just the printing costs are so vast for a million words that it's really kind of scraping by. But as I said, you know, both him and Lance realized that if they, if they stop doing it at this point, then they may be the last people on the planet and who actually have a full knowledge of Doctor Who. And that's Mad Norwegian Press, right? That's Mad Norwegian Press. Right. Go and they say, You can buy it on Amazon. Um, that's fine. They still get the money, and you know it drives up the ratings on Amazon as well. So by, by hook or by crook, get yourself those three volumes. <laughs> so after that, I sat on the podcaster's Guide to the oh, Galaxy yes. panel. Hmm. And that was, well, my first galley and my first galley panel, first and only. And uh, we... 
talked about podcasting. It was a uh, it was an interesting experience, and I, I want to give credit to where credits due. So I'm going to quick quick look at uh, who was on the panel. So it was moderated by Amanda Blackburn, Matt Sable-Cole, uh, Kyle Anderson, Keir Hansen, Paige Ralph, uh, John Pinglet, uh, John O'Connor, myself, and James Rockliffe were all on this, and we talked about Doctor Who podcasting, and. I think the one thing that came out of it is it truly is a labor of love and you're not going to get famous doing Doctor Who podcasting. There are hundreds of other Doctor Who podcasts and there's something for something for everyone and it's if you're looking for fame and fortune don't do Doctor Who podcasting, but if you love Doctor Who by all means do Doctor Who podcasting. And if you because I think for one reason A there's a zillion Doctor Who podcasts and B the, the podcast that uh, the famous ones have already become famous uh, and it's going to be hard for you to dislodge them from their current status <laughs> by just being yourself but anyway it's yeah if yeah and again it's just if you think if you you do this for the money then you're a fool because there's no money there's in it. no money yeah or fame or anything really but it, it was a nice panel it was a great panel well moderated it was a nice way nice way to break into uh galley uh you know, I'm, I tend to be more on the inter, introverted, introspective side, and it at least forced me to speak publicly at the beginning of Galley and may not do another panel, uh, but I have that experience under my belt. So, and that was uh, uh, Friday, and then Friday evening, there was the. Uh, we went to see Pointless, didn't we? We saw Pointless, With yes. Paul Cornell and, Paul Cornell's uh, Pointless. and Liv, uh, Liz Miles. Of yeah. Hammer House of Horror. Yeah, it's not a. A panel show, quiz show game that I very much enjoy. I don't really understand the rules of pointless. Well, they're pointless. Um, it's a little bit handmade, um, but everyone seemed to be enjoying themselves, which was nice. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, you, did you did you wind up picketing as Mary Poppins, a time lady? Or no, did you, no. Did you give that a hard pass? I, no, I you didn't want to be that one guy. I, I should have sat at the front and like just Ooh. kind of made noises as people talked with love about Mary Poppins. I mean, yeah, I mean the Travers books, which I've never read, I'm sure are excellent. <laughs> um, it's the movie that I hate. And Disney. It's because it's, it's Disney, and it's like like everything that the dead hand of Walt Disney touched, uh, it, he made it evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, we went briefly to the. Well, I stayed for the whole thing, but the Cornell Collective, and that was a interesting. That was hilarious. Story. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, Paul Paul Cornell has a, a devoted group of fans, and that, that was a handpicked panel to cater to the audience, and it was an interesting experience to see what uh, that part of fandom uh, found amusing. And seeing Ben and I do not drink much these days, that it uh, we were. Uh, Far too sober. There's a lot of boozing actually at 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 Gallifrey One, um, which is fine. If we'll, we'll I get all judgy now, yeah, we don't want to get all judgy. But there's a lot of boozing, which is great. Good, mm-hmm. good on you. Well done, well done for drinking. So that was. Uh, did you go to the Why It's Got to Be British panel, or did you? Skip I did that? go Why It's Got to Be British, and that was a bit disappointing. Um, were there Brits on the panel? There were Brits on the panel. I was expecting something that was more like, well, why is it important that uh, the Doctor Who is. British, but it was more like here is some great, here are some British TV shows you should be watching. And um, they didn't really get to the ones that I wanted, to, I would have wanted to talk about. So I kind of gave up on that one. Mm-hmm. The other one I gave and kind of gave up on was the collect, stop me before I collect again panel, which uh, I bailed out on because I am a collector and I don't didn't think they were really addressing 
uh, issues. Well, I'm also like an art curator, so I know about people who collect things. Um, and I didn't really think they were addressing some of the more pertinent issues of collecting, oh. in my opinion. What? Oh, I'm doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing that crackle. What's that thing? That was, was that, what, what, oh, hang on. Were you at that panel where the woman was talking about the um, the podcast uh, frying sound that you go like this? You go the fade away. <laughs> Which apparently lady podcasters get like called over the coals out about and like men podcasters don't. Yeah. That re- but anyway, I was doing it just there. That reminds me of the one, one thing that I, I knew it, but I, I should have been more uh, cognizant of it. After that panel, the podcasting panel, one of the questions was, dealing with online harassment and since we have so few interactions with listeners right and none of them really have been truly harassing and my opinion on harassing is just ignore it right because they're looking to get a rise but you know we're in a very privileged position that we're you know we're older white males and we sound like older white males on our podcast people don't dare harass us (laughs) so we're not we're not a prime target we're not you know teenage girls or young women or um african americans and you know it comes across in the voice and so you know what may work for me and ben may or we you know we aren't necessarily targets we may be targets now but uh, (laughs) uh we we aren't necessarily targets so Honestly, I can't really speak speak to that. My yeah. my advice would be just walk away and ignore it. But you know, you can't because yeah. Twitter, especially, uh, they seem to cultivate Nazis. Well, you, I mean, you had that when we're maybe skipping on a little bit. But I mean, I was very excited on Saturday to be able to experience a couple of panels with a an artistic hero of mine, the uh, uh, film director Ben Wheatley. But then you told me, David, that he was getting some flack on Twitter for looking sleepy. Yeah. Which so is like, well, of course he was looking sleepy because he'd been up from for three o'clock in the morning shooting a goddamn movie. And anyway, who cares if he's looking sleepy? So, yeah, we, I mean, we can jump jump yeah. to that because that was the director's roundtable at the end of Saturday, at the very really end of that. Saturday, yeah. where we had Rachel Talloway, Jamie Childs, and Wayne Yip along with Ben Wheatley. And it was uh, moderated by former Doctor Who brand manager, Edward Russell, who obviously knows all these fine directors. And we tweeted out in the feed a picture of the panel. And then Ben was kind of slumped in his chair. And he's, 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 he's a really chill individual normally. But you he know, was he, looking extra chill. He was looking really relaxed. And somebody says somebody needs to wake him up. But you know, as Wheatley pointed out, he was up till 3 a.m. filming. He's shooting a new version of Rebecca, apparently. Yeah. Daphne Damari, Re- Rebecca. So he is a big fan, and he's doing this on his day off. We, I mean, he should be. He could be. He should be sleeping. Yeah. And he does it. You know, I mean, the same reason why he does Doctor Who is because he loves Doctor Who. And so you, you just got to think before you tweet or yeah, before exactly. you post something, especially with Gallifrey. Everyone is basically, you know, doing this for the love of the show. Yeah. And not doing it because they're getting a big fee. Yeah. They're not doing it, you know, Ben Ben Wheatley especially is just doing it because he knows Sean. He likes Doctor Who. He's, he's in L.A. working. He, he, why not? He dropped him for the day. And I mean, yeah, and he's a, you know, again, he's a proper film director. And he is a fan of, of the right kind of Who, the Who of the 1970s, the good Who. And um, yeah, anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's but, a shame. Anyway, but early, early on Saturday. Oh, no, earlier on Saturday, yeah. What yeah, early on Saturday, to? we just caught the very t- uh, tail end of interview with uh, Tony Curran, who played Vincent in Vincent and the Doctor, and he was 
pretty good interview. He was a charming man. We uh, that's not 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 a, not a not an interview I would have chosen to see. But what we were waiting for something else, weren't we? We were um, the big big finish recreating the Pertwee era. With oh yeah, Tim Tim Trelaw. With Tim Trelaw. We'll get more on that later. But, yeah, yeah. but uh, Tony Tony Curran was quite engaging, quite very charming. very humble yeah. uh, actor, which. I think he was a little bit overwhelmed by the love of uh, fandom of the uh, <laughs> of the young women who were coming up to him and just telling him how wonderful he was. He may not be this this the Scotsman may not be getting this every day. Oh, I <laughs> I'm so, not but that this was that was charming. It was a uh, it was a uh, it was he did seem a little uh, embarrassed. <laughs> well, you better get used to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we went to the recreating with uh, the Pertwee era, which uh, Richard Franklin and uh, oh Tim Trelaw, which and Katie Manning. And... It was mainly Katie Manning, to be honest. But Tim Trelaw seems like an awesome bloke, actually. Um, very grounded. Um, he didn't do the voice. I was really hoping that someone well, would. You were make... going to hold him to it. Yeah, well, I didn't want to line up and be one of those questioning people. Um, but yeah, he should have done the voice. But again, he was saying actually that the voice is difficult. And makes him really nervous every time he does it. So actually, you know, in some ways, maybe it would have been mean to demand that he did the voice. Well, didn't didn't he? Because it's not his natural voice. I mean, he's a pretty obvious Welshman when mm-hmm. you hear him talk. Mm-hmm. And but didn't he? Didn't he and Katie say it took him about twenty minutes, thirty minutes, just even to get into yeah. the voice? Yeah, to be, like warm up to it. Especially yeah. with, with Katie Manning doing doing young young Joe. Yeah, that it, it takes a while to get into that role, and it takes Tim a while to get into the role. And uh, uh, Katie, Katie Manning related the, the story of how Tim became her doctor because she had locked herself into the loo. And yeah. it was uh, uh, Tim Trelaw, the new third doctor, <laughs> coming to her rescue. Oh, bless. So that was that was interesting. Uh, who was the moderator on that one? That was uh, Ken Deep on oh, Long yeah, yeah. Who. He yeah, did yeah, a nice yeah. job. He really like facilitating, yeah. um, the, bringing out the conversation. So yeah. that, was, that was good. And then... Um, after that, we went to we went to a lot of panels. We we spent a lot of our time just participating in what what was on offer. And after that, we went to see uh, uh, Edward Edward Russell being interviewed by uh, Stephen Shapansky of Radio Free Scarl. That was very which interesting. Was actually, talking about the Doctor Who brand and just how this this job sort of came into being during the uh, latter part of the Tenant era, and just just because of how successful and how many uh, branding opportunities were being created in Doctor Who and how he went, you know, rolled out Matt Smith, rolled out Capaldi, mm. and then why, with the restructuring of the BBC into BBC Studios, why he felt it was a good time to, for jumping off in his career. And he, he, I, I don't know if he was serious, but working the con circuit. Yeah, well, it's a job. Yeah. yeah. So that was interesting. And then after, I don't think you go to these panels necessarily for a lot of insights. I don't know if we had, they're, they're small insights. Like the insight that it, it takes Trelore and Manning 20 to, 20 to 30 minutes to get into character. That, that's, kind of a, that's kind of an insight. But there's not, uh, uh, at least in the things that we've seen, there's not, not always a lot of uh, breaking Breaking news. Breaking news. It's sometimes you go to hear the same story being told, but in up close and personal. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had we went to the uh, panel with uh, uh, Richard Moldworth and Paul Vanessa's afterwards. Yeah. Which was uh, talking about Doctor Who research and uh, yeah, 
And that was fascinating. That was beginning our second day with the restoration team and whatnot. Yeah. What was what was after that? Oh, that. So that was then. After that, it was the directors. Yeah. No, no, no. It wasn't the directors. No, that, was, that the, was, the was the pitch. Production. The pitch one. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was that was that that was pretty interesting. It was interesting, but the panel I think was far too big. And uh, really, since we we're in Los Angeles, it had a lot of LA types in there. And obviously, it was it was yeah. geared towards uh, yeah. film production and the, yeah. and the pitch, yeah. and uh, may have had a little a little a uh, little more Star Trek bent than Star Trek or Billy bent. I mean, I mean that was that was the first panel with Wheatley on it, and I think what was interesting to him is that you know he was describing his working method in terms of getting movies made and all the kind of LA types their kind of jaws were dropping like what is you do that Mm -hmm. um they couldn't believe that you know um he never that they he wouldn't take money for scripts like all his scripts were in Miami Jump um his wife um partner and um it's really interesting it's a take it or leave it approach yeah does not well it's not being used in LA not LA (laughs) and he's I mean, he's, I mean, he's not an author, but you know that is it's it's in, it was interesting. He was very super super chill about it, but yeah, then, and then, then then did ask him the question, "How is it different than working with Moffat?" And, right, and so the difference is with Moffat, it's by the book. You 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 go in there knowing you're not going to have influence over the script, and yep. you know yep. the boss is yep. the showrunner and the writer. Yep. And so you're working the spec. You're, you're, it's, it's made to order. I mean, he was talking about improvisation. He works a lot with improvisa- improvisation. What he did say, obviously, is that you know, is that is that for his two Doctor Who's that he did, um, Deep Breath and Into the Dalek, he was able to have all his kind of favorite actor crew, like Mike, Michael Smiley. Uh, that was an awful accent. Cut that out. Uh, Michael <laughs> Smiley and people like that in the show. So that was mm-hmm. good. And we went to the restoration team meet and greet. And, Lovely. Uh, ne- next to Katie Manning and Ben Wheatley, that was, I think, highlight. probably a highlight of it. And Definitely it's a just, highlight. These, these gents are so on top of it and so... So self-effacing. And so smart. They're yeah. just they're, And their knowledge, especially just all, all of them. You know, Richard Molesworth's uh, depth of research. Uh, Steve Roberts is just, just the... the he knows where he's 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 right now uh, working in BBC archives. He's a, yeah, a, a archivist. Archivist, but he knows where all these disparate sources are and what qualities there are. And Paul Vanessa's just you know knowing all the technologies and Mark Ayers just knowing the soundtracks. And he of all the team members, it's uh, Roberts and Ayers who have been there the longest. And just mm-hmm. you know, Mark Mark is every time he's just has developing new techniques and it's fascinating listening to these individuals and the quality of the questions from the audience and this was just a small meet and greet it wasn't a panel yeah was pretty amazing i think it was a very high caliber and it was obviously targeted towards the people who really appreciate the hard work that the restoration team has done over the past yeah, I mean, since I, the VHS range. Yeah, and I, I would, I would cheerfully have, have, have spent you know two plus hours with the restoration team. I just think they're geniuses, and everything they say is interesting. They have not got an, an uninteresting thing to say. Every time they open their mouth, something interesting comes out. And uh, you know, I uh, it said if, if, if uh, hopefully they'll be returning. I, I mean, Steve Roberts was telling me that you know this is his fifteenth. Uh, Gallifrey one, so I mean, uh, I think hopefully he'll be back next year. But you know, he should definitely bring the rest of the gang with him. He should bring Brignall as well. Actually, I'd be interested to him hear him talk. But yeah, that was uh, the, seeing seeing and hearing them talk was a was a was a real treat. It was the first time that the Vanessa's and the Molesworth. second time 
Yeah, Vanessa's and uh, Molesworth were here, but uh, Ares has been out here once before in yeah. Gallifrey. But to have the team, uh, obviously Peter Crocker is is still in the UK. He, from what I from what I heard from Chris Chapman, who's the freelance director of some of the special feature videos, that he is just swamped by work right now, We're cranking out those Blu-rays, crank, working on the Blu-rays, but. To have the team and just the knowledge that the team brings, that they really have this covered, and they the professionalism. It's the it's the right mix of individuals to not only restore these, but also to deal with the collectors and work on recoveries where they can. It's. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a, I, I I work a lot with weird creative people, and just listening to Paul Vanessa's talk, um, he is exactly the right kind of person who you would want to have negotiating with eccentric uh, film collectors. 100%. Um, I mean, in some ways, I wish I, I wish I had him on my staff, um, <laughs> you know, to deal with the more difficult collectors and artists we have to deal with uh, deal with the, the, the museum i mean he's he's the, these are these are great people they have a huge amount of emotional intelligence they have a huge amount of just like general intelligence um they know about the show to the nth degree they love the show to the nth degree and they're also scientists as well i mean what i would call scientists they're engineers they right. they know how to get this stuff done they can do the math they can work the spreadsheets you know they can push the buttons on the button pushing thing mm-hmm. yeah and then you, after that, that was far too short, it was just an hour, but then you had your Designing Classic Who panel. Which was a little bit of a car crash, I'll have to say. Um, a little bit uh, of cock up on the uh, moderating yeah, front. Yeah, I think the moderator had not been informed that he was the moderator, poor old Alan Seiler. And it, it, it kind of expanded from just Classic Who to all of Who, and we got a little bit mired in how... Uh, none of the panelists really felt that they enjoyed um, the the current TARDIS set that much. Yeah, I don't think he got mired. That was just at the end. Oh, draw a veil over that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think, again, and this really encourages me to, to if we return to Gallifrey One, I would love to be able to present, uh, offer my services to help moderating panels. I think it is actually, it is kind of hard to do and requires homework. Um, I was actually quite surprised that the moderators for each of these panels did not contact their panelists beforehand, at least, you know, for a five, ten minutes huddle uh, before each panel just to sort out what we were going to say about what. Um, I think that's a kind of an important thing to do with any kind of panel. And uh, as I said, I, I would love to have the opportunity to maybe assist Gallery One going forward in moderating panels properly. Mm-hmm. So everyone gets something to say and we get, we get some good information. Mm-hmm. And after that, we uh, found ourselves uh, near the front with Catherine Tate. That was that was good. She's interesting good. Interesting experience. Yeah, yeah. Consummate performer. There. She's, she loves 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 getting out in public. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we also actually this morning, Sunday morning, we we we, we were in, in the I was in the Starbucks line with Catherine Tate. But of course, because I'm also a consummate professional, I didn't make <laughs> I didn't make any comment. As was all the other fans of Gallifrey, because she well sat, done everyone sat in the. Lobby area, just and sipping her Starbucks, talking with her partner there, and uh, nobody disturbed her. So well no done, one, everybody. No one bothered, and after a while, she even took off her hat and yep. decided that she could be herself and not be incognito, and no one was going to give her crap, and everyone kind of gave her a little bit of space. So that which is good, and then again, you know, there's obviously there's a lot of different kinds of personalities at a, an event like Gallifrey One, but to you know to afford a big star like like Catherine Tate, that kind of respect is like respect to everybody for doing that. Yeah. In the evening, you went to the mask. I did. I went to the mask of uh, of, of whatever it's called, Mandragora, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was okay. I there was some really stunning cosplay going on. 
on, the on the hallways on Saturday. I did wasn't able to capture all of it on film because it was kind of crowded. Um, there was an amazing uh, Stones of Blood cosplay going on. There were a couple of the Super Hartnells. There was a great uh, a unit crew um, that I saw. The was, Super SV7 was amazing. And an amazing SV7. And a, a very, very charming... Cyberman that we met at breakfast, uh, though only at that point he was disguised as a, an engineer for a Magpie Electricals. None of those people turned up in the mask. I don't really understand what the rules of the mask are. Um, I think David was saying to me that perhaps the mask is primarily for people who've kind of just started out cosplaying and they don't invite the professionals in. Um, it's more kind of an amateur practice because the professionals I, would always win. Well, Who the knows? Professionals are. Ju- I don't. I don't know. I don't understand. But from what I heard, it was one of the more sparsely attended masks. Yeah. I have nothing to compare it to, and there was only about twenty nine entries. Yeah, yeah, years. and and so there was some great stuff, and I think the winners were there was a fabulous Toost, yes, who we'd also actually met when she was talking with the SV seven because she wanted to borrow his head as part of her costume. Intersposed in the middle of the mask was uh, it was an episode of um, uh, Would, I, I, lie, lie would yeah. I Lie to You, again, hosted by our amiable host, Paul Cornell. Well, this was cosplay Cornell. Oh, cosplay Cornell. Yes, he was... <laughs> in a pirate suit or something. He was dressed as a, dressed as a pirate of some kind. Um, a Pertwee pirate. Uh, a piratical Pertwee. And that... How did that have on it? That was... Um, what's her name from Babylon 5? Tim Trelaw. Uh, Rachel Stott, well, thingy from it was, anyway. It was three comedians, three three actors. comedians, and uh, there were three actors, and then three comic book people, including right. Stott and that other bloke, and Rob Rob Williams from Wales. And it was actually it was fitfully amusing. I like I actually found it quite amusing. Was it Lisa Greenwood who was one of the actors? Yes, she was. Yes, yeah, that was her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she was good. So it was good. It was amusing. It made me made me smile. And ended on three three draw. And it ended on three three draw. Yes. So. Tim Trelaw. So a lot, a lot of Welsh people involved. Uh, and then we come on to Sunday. Yes, we did. And we started out, took a bit of a punt on this, um, but the director's commentary for Heaven Sent, and that was extremely interesting and well worth staying for. Yeah, um, Dollard. Sarah Dollard. Oh, Sarah, that was Sarah Dollard who wrote yeah. Thin Ice. Yes, really? and Face oh. the Raven. And Face so that, the Raven. That's why she was moderating, because she did lead in story. Right, but... right. Didn't really like Face the Raven that much. Um, but anyway, <laughs> carry on. Well, you have the, the Harry Potter thing. I had so. that Harry Potter hatred but, in my soul, yes. But uh, but that was very very interesting. And uh, one of the questions asked, and then it was kind of known, but this Murray Gold doesn't take a lot of direction for the music, and the music comes after basically the final cut is in place. So they have in place for the rough cuts or for um, just uh, their own... Uh, samples of classical music or Murray Gold, other Murray Gold music. And uh, so Murray Gold just took it and scored it the way he thought it was to be scored. And it's probably the best Murray Gold piece. I mean, I think he wrote 30 minutes worth of music for it. It, it really is the other character in Heaven Sent. But just, just the techniques that Rachel Talloway did... The garden in the middle of the castle was, uh, she nightmared in Elm, Elm Street it up. She made it more night, more horror garden yeah, yeah. rather than like a formal garden, right. which Moffat had, had in. Uh, it, you know, <laughs> one of the funny things is that the big, the big layered plastic glass, you know, the, the crystal rock wall is plastic. And she has, you know, she's basically doing all sorts of tricks so it looks like Peter's hitting it but never really hitting it. Right, right. And, you know, it's also Peter doing, Capaldi doing the acting. Right, with right. It, but she just, don't hit the wall, Peter. You don't yeah. want, we don't want to lose your, we don't want to break your hand. Right, right, right. And so it's just 
it's just a master work between I don't remember her uh, uh, director of photography okay. and, and her editor, but those two individuals, um, Talalay, Moffat's amazing script, and then uh, Peter Capaldi, and then all once once all that work is done, then the soundtrack of Murray Gold, and it was just it was it was really insightful, and yeah, she showed she showed uh, things that they cut. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of times you go, oh, it would be nice to have those back in. But I didn't see anything that she showed that I would really want to add. It, it, it maybe explains a little bit more of mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. With Moffat's work, you, you pick it up on the subsequent watches anyways. You, you work it out. And maybe, a little, maybe the little spoon feeds that would have come earlier in the story, mm-hmm. if they hadn't been cut, uh, I, I think would have diminished the work a little bit. So it was interesting to see how the sausage is made there yeah yeah it was it was it was fascinating actually it was okay. very interesting well, also the crane the the drone shots oh, drone shots of, of, of carefully castle yeah were, and, were, were cool and how they would uh they built extra scaffolding and stuff so he, yeah. capaldi could walk out like out of a doorway or something right. like that. or in the in the lighting techniques she was doing surrealistic the lighting wasn't really supposed to come when it came from everywhere. Uh, from, from, uh, it was coming directly through the crenellons. She, she described it as kind of German expressionist lighting, which, again, I think was an interesting insight. Yeah, so that was a real win. It was, it was good yeah. to go to. And we were, um, we were there. <laughs> that was, that was a, warm act, a warm-up act for the restoration, restoration team, team where they did it. Uh, it the, the, their uh, presentation was, who needs the restoration team? And... Obviously, Ben and I do, but <laughs> but they did a great job actually of doing its kind of restoration team for idiots. Not you know what I mean. You know, it's like in, those introductory books. restoration and in, in, an introduction to the restoration team to take you like, well, why do we need them? And they, it's actually again, I just love it. It was a very very careful, I felt they, they analysis. It. They scripted it and they had scripts and they had some props. Um, yeah, had a roll of VT tape. They had a roll of sixteen millimeter film, two, two inch uh, two inch videotape. Exactly. So you know that was all. Uh, that was all great and then they showed some amazing clips of you know chroma dot recovery a particular kind of soundtrack work that they've been doing that amazed you David oh yes so German the German uh, DVD Blu-ray manufacturers want to dub classic who in German and so they asked Mark Harris for just a soundtrack, a, a dialogue-free track of the war games. Well, there exists no such beast. There is no um, the the sounds and everything in '60s Who. So the music, sound effects were all piped in in studio. So you had video and you had sound, and that was it. It was mixed in in studio. So you don't have a separate dialogue track. So by some amazing technical skills mark Ayers was able to remove and he had us listen to the very first part of episode one part one of the war games Mm -hmm. with dialogue with the time team stepping out of the tardis and into the mud and then uh, you know walking through the no man's land and then with the dialogue removed and you could hear the beautiful dudley simpson music and it's it's amazing and we were in a we were in a big auditorium, so it may once you have headphones on, you might be able to hear imperfections. It may not be CD quality ready, but I I doubt it. Mark Ayers would not put his name to he's something that he's not yeah. Yeah. not happy with. Yeah. And this just this 
technique is revolutionary. It's groundbreaking because these soundtracks, for the most part, of Dudley Simpson's work are are, are missing from the archives. Uh, Simpson was given a composer's uh, edit a tape. He lost them in various moves throughout his life and back to Australia. So these soundtracks do not exist. But if Mark can de-dialogue soundtrack like that and recover the sounds, this is this is just Dudley Simpson is the sound of 60s and 70s Doctor Who. It is. And I hope that we'll have a whole new range of silver screen, shiny disc CDs of high quality, or at least listenable quality yeah. of uh, Simpsons work. It would just be amazing. But then I think an interesting other nugget that the Ayers dropped um, during the meet and greet is that he's pretty sure that some of the scores still exist. Oh yes. Um, uh, for uh, for Dudley's music in the BBC Music Library, um, which of course you know he doesn't work for the BBC anymore. So it's you know it's a, it's a difficult institution to uh, to access some of that kind of deep archive. Um, so again, you know there may be there may be an opportunity to actually re- recreate some of those scores. Mm-hmm. Um, so for fans of of Dudley Simpson's music, of which of course everybody's fans of music <laughs> because his music is wonderful, um, exciting. Uh, let's gonna listen to this space in so, that way. So there's two opportunities, two opportunities to recover because yeah. Dudley Simpson has all the orchestr- orchestrations. If you can get his scores, you can hire the same um, uh, musicians with the same in- instrumentation. Um, Mark Ayers is a very sensitive conductor to the, the the realities and the limitations and the sensibilities of the of Simpson's eras. That was his inspiration for becoming a composer. He he would play along with uh, Simpson on. You know, on the on the piano keys when he was you know watching uh, Doctor Who or trying to recreate it. So those are two avenues that we can recover these missing soundtracks, which would just be a- amazing to do. Revelatory, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we were treated to some sneak peeks of uh, kind of upcoming stuff in the Blu-ray uh, slash DVD range. Um, with so uh, Chris Chapman, and Chris Rob Chapman Ritchie. and Rob Ritchie, who we had just had a little chat with down in the bar, um, and they're both. Super splendid chaps, both of them. And there's some great stuff coming. I mean, some of that, the animation. I mean, Rob showed a snippet of animation from the Macro Terra, and it was beautiful. It was it was actually the kind of animation that we've been looking for. I think so, yeah. I mean, it I think was... they finally got to a point where they can do what needs to be done at a at a, at a proper at, at a price that makes sense. It, it is far improved even over uh, Shada, and Shada was a great improvement over, over power, power, which was a great improvement over you know the ones before Moonbase and well, yeah, the, the different studio, but of, yeah. of the ones that uh, Norton Norton has right. directed, the, these Charles Norton has directed. These are uh, it is a, a, a remarked improvement. And the scene that they showed was uh, at the. In part three, and it had the pilot who is uh, Jeffries. Uh, Peter Jeffries. Peter, yeah, Peter, Peter Je- Jeffrey. Peter Jeffries, not Jeffries. Jeff- oh, Peter Jeffrey. Peter Jeffrey. Who's the pilot, I believe. And they were talking, and this is what, with uh, Troughton working the formula for what was going on in the, uh, at the holiday camp or whatever at the, in the colony for the macro terror. And it's all shot looking through glass where Troughton's working the sums. And the, really the, nicely the done. fluidity of the animation and the angle, and so the the, the model, the model uh, uh, toolbox or the toolkit that they have, the model kit that they have to work with, is expanded. So you get a lot more range of directions of shots for 
the characters and more smoother animation. And then the work that uh, Rob Ritchie has done is the 3D uh, backdrops and the sceneries. Mm. And so the, so uh, this is the piping and the parts of the refinery. And Rob took a chance on the coloring of the piping and he, he made them kind of a muted uh, rust, uh, not a rusty red, but kind of a red. And this was an artistic choice on his part. And it looked it looked fabulous. It looked really good. Really, really good. And um, it's uh, it's. I was kind of holding holding off and seeing if I wanted to get Macra, but right now Macra is a, a definite must, pre-order. Must buy. Yep. Yep. yep definite pre-order. Yeah. And then uh, what, 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 what was what was the language lunchtime then? Was yeah, it? We had, yeah. But then we had, we had your next. Oh yeah, panel, I know, judging I know, a book by a fabulous panel. I really really enjoyed this one. Moderated excellently by the by Nathan Skreslit. Um, of, um, he's not a Doctor Who monster. Am I pronouncing his? his yeah, that is how his name is pronounced. Who? Uh, he's Pixel Who, um, and you can you can check out his fabulous work at Pixel Who um, and, and Pixel Who etc etc. Very good moderator. Um, uh, we had Stuart Manning back again. He was on the same panel with me as I'd been um, yesterday, and he again fabulous. Yeah, basically the art. I, I guess I didn't realize that he was basically the art director for Radio Times for many years, and commissioned commissioned the photography um, and does these just amazing. Did all the amazing posters for. Uh, the Capaldi seasons of Doctor Who, interesting guy, really super knowledgeable. I felt a little bit intimidated by him. Um, <laughs> and then the also the fabulous Rachel Stott, who, again, I'm ashamed to say I'd not really been aware of. I'm, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't pick up a lot of um, what's going on in kind of who the Who universe in that sort of way. I don't, sadly, because I literally don't have the time, I don't follow all that is published in terms of Who comic strips. I basically just read the DWM strip. But, you know, uh, uh, Rachel was charming. Um, I'm sure she'd love me to call her a charming person. Um, <laughs> and uh, But I'll certainly be checking out her her, her work. I'm, I'm going to go straight to the Amazons and uh, see whether I can order some uh, uh, some uh, trade paperbacks of her work. A really, really great artist. And it was a fun conversation. We co- covered all the things that I wanted. I wanted it was interested in covering. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you know, it was a little bit intimidating for me to be, you know, the only non-creative person amongst three really strong who creatives but um i think uh, i think the audience enjoyed what we had to say a little bit sparsely attended but you know it was the last day it was up against uh, verities in defensive which had right uh, the, which was the main main draw at that yeah, hour yeah, yeah. Um, after I, that you went to uh, I, I, la freeze yeah i went i went and did some work um which meant going to la freeze so as some of as all of you will know the freeze art fair is one of the uh, the world's top contemporary art fairs Freeze LA is the first iteration. They, the, the Freeze Art Fair in London is very famous. Freeze New York is very famous. And Freeze LA is the, the first one. So I spent a couple of hours over at Paramount Studios experiencing contemporary art in all its hideousness. It's very, very interesting to compare <laughs> like two sets of nerds with each other. Uh, nerds who are incredibly wealthy and beautiful and don't they know it um, compared with uh, nerds who are a bit more kind of down to earth and uh, a representative of real life which is Mm -hmm. what I think I saw at Gallifrey One rather than at Freeze. And while you were doing that I sat in on the panel looking back at uh, DVD and Blu-ray disc extras which uh, Chris Chapman uh, freelance director joined the restoration team with and they talked about uh, special features on Blu-rays. Yeah, sorry. Space, it's getting late here. Special features on on our on the shiny discs, and it was uh, 
it was uh, it was a big panel and not a lot of time doing it. But uh, one thing they came up with was the the extra uh, O O mummy, which was on the Pyramid of Mars, <laughs> yeah, and how that uh, came into being, and, oh, and that that was uh, that was already made. And uh, Steve Roberts uh, knew knew the person who was involved with that, and uh, it's one of the early comedy bits of uh, Sutex Gift of Milk. I bring suitcases. <laughs> Pyramids of Moo. <laughs> Pyramids of Moo. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. Was it was fun? And every um, time I take milk milk out of the fridge, I say that to myself. And, that's because I live on my own. Though. And then Chris Chris uh, showed earlier before uh, before the macro clips er, earlier in the day a really nice documentary that is coming out on season eighteen um, box set about El, uh, the four four classic who writers. Oh yes. Which yeah. um, they meet. Uh, Bidmead in a pub and Bidmead's reading New Scientist and they all share a pint and it looks to be a lovely, lovely feature on, on that. And I have, I have the uh, UK edition. I need to do an order for the US edition on yeah. that. So, but that was pretty much the day for us. Oh, then the closing ceremonies. Closing ceremonies. Um, a very nice, uh, nice tribute to, to Sean Lyons. Yep. Yep. Very fitting in just 30 years of uh, people whose lives, both the professionals and the the fans, who just really appreciate all that Sean and his marvelous team that he has cultivated and uh, worked with over the years to bring Gallifrey One to Los Angeles. Yeah. So all in all, I mean, it was a, actually a very enjoyable weekend. I mean, I think we started slow because we're kind of newbies. I think there's an interesting tension in these kind of events between... You know, people like us who are kind of older and more boring and interested in just listening to the restoration team talk about DVDs. Um, and, you know, younger fans who are more interested in the, you know, the full kind of emotional content. You know, people who really still have emotions rather than like us who've had our emotions burnt out over years of toil and dr- drudgery. Um, but I think actually the balance between those two needs uh, was is, is, it was it was actually very well done um, throughout Um uh, I would like the convention myself. I would like the convention to be bigger, not bigger in the number of things happening uh, or the number of people, but to have pan because the panels is what I really enjoy. And the cosplay is fun. You know, the games are fun. Watching Doctor Who is fun. You know, there's a whole bunch of fun things going on. But the panels is what I really enjoy because it actually fits into you know what I know is what you do at these kind of events. Uh, and I would love the panels to have had the opportunity to be longer to run over time. And you know, it would be great to have you know two-hour panels or at least panels that have the opportunity to 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 you know, have an, an extra twenty minutes tacked on if the conversation was getting interesting. What I think we're we really felt that was be with conversation with the restoration team. Yeah. It would be nice, I think, with the restoration team. And I don't know if it would have worked for them, but basically, you would sign up and you would have a day with the restoration team yeah. where you would go through and you would you know you'd go, you you'd talk about the music you'd have a lunch yeah. it, it would be something like that so and I, I, I one mistake i think i made is that, is that i didn't really understand this whole concept of these cafe clatchy things um, i don't like germans and i don't like their language <laughs> uh, i was not willing to understand <laughs> 
<laughs> Exterminieren. Um, uh, that's what Daleks say in German. Anyway, I, so anyway, I, I didn't really understand what those were. I wish I'd signed up for some of those and been able to get you know kind of a closer, more close up and personal people with you know people like Lars Pearson or um, or Lance Parkin or or other folks. Um, I also really wish I had remembered that the only question I want to ask Michael Jason um, is when are they going to release Quilla on DVD? Um, <laughs> I'm sure he knows. I'm sure. Well, you know, he was the star of that show. If he, he'd know if anyone does so I wish I'd gone to a Michael Jason panel and asked him that question those are my regrets um, but all in all I, I, I think I think we, we, we had a good enough time didn't we David uh, we're tired I, we're tiring I think this is more really this is designed for extroverts as much as they try to make it for uh, acceptable and comfortable for everyone I think if you know absolutely no one and you're going here it's it's tough and it's really tough. People are welcoming, but even just make, even just picking up on the social cues when to enter a conversation when you can. It's I think it's a really tough uh, tough experience for introverts, and I'm not sure it's really my scene. I, I I think it's I think it's wonderful. I think it's a really positive community, but I'm not sure. It mm. works works for me. So oh, so we'll have to see. We'll have to see whether we're returning next but, year. You know, Ben might, and I might not. So. Yeah, I might come on my own. That would really be challenging. No, I'm used to that now. I can like strike up conversations with people. Mm. But anyway, yeah. So we'll 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 see whether we come back next year. One thing year. we did, we had a really nice meetup this morning with the Pacific Northwest people. Out of oh yeah, Seattle. that was awesome. Yeah. yeah so um, you made a, a lot of contacts in Seattle, and it was kind of funny that yeah, yeah Portland's kind of dead on the doctor scene. So yeah, yeah. But uh, Seattle seems to be really active um i think there's going to be a meetup going to see logopolis on the 13th of march or mm-hmm. maybe the 30th i couldn't actually and that's through the doctor who seattle facebook page right yeah yeah so um uh maybe and, uh, the, and the woman who runs that was seemed really on the seemed, ball too seemed, seemed charming and also very well organized mm-hmm. so that was good so right. thank you for listening to episode 107 of the metabulous 2 or gallifrey one wrap-up i guess what's up next is can tell I'm tired. Our, our next up is Remembrance of the Daleks. It'll be a, a look at Ace's second story. So yes. we'll see see what we think of that. We will see what we think of that. So until next time. Until next time. Uh, goodbye. And uh, to any we gain any new listeners um, through being at Gallifrey One. So welcome, welcome to our podcast. And please uh, reach out and share with us your Gallifrey experiences. Please do. We'd be interested to hear them. Um, so if you had been, thanks for listening. Bye. Goodbye.